today we look at Judges chapter 3 and I felt like last week I did a lot of introduction and so uh, I'm not going to do that except to say that uh, the book of Judges is a time period where there was no king in Israel. They did not have a king yet and that was a good thing because God was to be their king. And it was to be a theocracy. But the bad thing was, because there wasn't that law and order, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that is one messed up world when that happens. So, God raised up these mighty judges. Uh, They are found all the way through the book of Judges and even into 1 Samuel. Now today, we're going to look at an unusual judge. He is found in chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. He is known for one particular odd quality. He's left-handed. Alright? He is the lefty judge. Now, Joe and I were talking and sometimes we talk about a left-handed politician. That's not always good, alright? They're doing something under the table maybe, but but the left-handed judge. I did some research and we have had eight left-handed presidents. Eight. Uh, James Garfield, Herbert Hoover, Harry Truman, Gerald Ford, Ronald Reagan. Yay! Alright? <laughs> I love Reagan. George H. Bush, Bill Clinton, and the last lefty, the 44th President Barack Obama. And so those eight were left-handed. Let's celebrate the lefties. How many are left-handed? Raise the hand, all right. Boy, we got some, all right. We need to form a club. Left-handed. All right, there you go. All right, the best and the brightest, okay? Now, during the 400 years covered in the book of Judges, you think about that, the book of Judges covers 400 years. I can sum up the history of 400 years in four things. Number one, they served God faithfully. Number two, they backslid. Number three, God would bring judgment by raising up a Canaanite army. And then number four, they would repent and God would bring a judge that would be a mighty warrior and win the victory. That's a pattern that we see. So... Here we find in chapter 3, there is a new judge. His name is Ehud. I remember back years ago, there was a guy that ran against Benjamin Netanyahu. His name was Ehud Barak. And over there in Israel. But Ehud was a left-handed judge. Now let me just read for you. Let me begin in verse 12 and read verses 12 through 
12 through 15. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Underline the word again. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered to himself the sons of Ammon and Amalek. And he went and defeated Israel, and they possessed the city of the palm trees. And by the way, the city of the palm trees is Jericho. Alright, verse 14. The sons of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And the sons of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, you can find in verses 21 and 22 that Ehud killed the king of Moab, Eglon. It is a gross, unappetizing, I could say that, description of his death. Uh, Ehud makes a knife and he plunges the knife into the belly of Eglon. Evidently, the king of Moab was one large dude. He was overweight. He had too much turkey at Thanksgiving, alright? And so, the knife plunges in. And Ehud cannot bring the knife out. And so we find the death of this king here in verses 21 and 22. Now, I'm going to mention this later, but I do want to show you this. Verse number 30. After Ehud won the victory, and after Israel got this victory, notice that the land was undisturbed for 80 years. They had peace for 80 years. Remember I told you the book of Judges is 400 years. But for 80 years after this victory, they had peace. It's the longest period of peace in the book of Judges. And so it was a fascinating victory. Now, what happened is that when the people sinned, God allowed, key word, God allowed Eglon, the king of Moab, to build this confederacy with the Amalekites and also with Ammon. And so they got this little confederacy here. And so they come against Israel. They capture, according to verse number 13, the city of Jericho. We'll talk about how important that was in a moment. But God did not forget about His people. Aren't you glad that God has a long memory concerning His people? God didn't forget Israel. And so God looked down and raised up this left-handed judge, Ehud. So, for 18 years. Look at verse number 14. The sons of Israel served 
Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Can you imagine they were in servitude for 18 years? Have you ever noticed how that sometimes you and I will stay in the place of sin day after day after day? We just go through the same old cycle. God, I'm sorry, but I messed up again. And finally, we get fed up with it. Israel finally got fed up with being in servitude. And so, again, they cried out, according to verse 15, they cried out, they prayed to the Lord. Now, listen again. Disobedience, chastisement, and restoration. I believe with all my heart that the people of Israel have got to be the most stubborn, the most obstinate, hard-headed people in the world. They are. But the good thing is, is that when they set their heart in the right direction, when they moved in the right way, God began to bless them. You know, there's something to be said about being stubborn. <laughs> I know it's a bad thing. It can also be a good thing. When you are stubborn, hard-headed, in the right direction. Alright? I like the old Scottish proverb. Somebody sat up there in Scotland and they said, God, let my husband be right all the time because he's a hard man to turn. Alright? Hard man to turn. Stubborn. Now, the book of Judges is just history. It's a history book unless you can make an application. Never read the Old Testament without seeing how it can apply to you today. So here's the application. Eglon, the king of Moab, is the picture of someone battling flesh and blood. You and I have a battle every single day with flesh and blood. I know the right thing to do is to have that little thing of Activia yogurt every day. But I get sick of that stuff, alright? I would rather go down the road to Russia's and have a hot fudge sundae. It don't work the same way, alright? I've tried it, it doesn't, alright? That blessed your heart today, didn't it, alright? But now listen, the flesh desires to feed the flesh. And there's always this war, this battle between flesh and spirit. Now let me tell you this, whichever one you feed the most is going to whip the other. It's like two hound dogs, alright? Whichever one you feed the most is going to whip the other one. If you will feed the Spirit of God in your life on the Word of God, on fellowship in the church, being around godly people, you can defeat the flesh. But Eglon is the perfect picture of the flesh. Eglon, the king of Moab, is out of control, self-indulgent, and he is wrapped up in evil. Now, we're going to look at some things in the story, alright? First of all, 
Look at Israel's dilemma. They have a dilemma. And that's verses 12 through 14. Now, the dilemma is this. They are in servitude, serving Moab 18 years. In fact, Israel's foes were the Ammonites, the Amalekites, and these from Moab. Now, this three-nation picture is interesting because do you know the history of Moab? Moab, that nation came from the relationship of Lot and that incest relationship with Lot and the daughters. Remember that back there in the Old Testament book of Genesis? And that's the history of Moab. And so, these nations get together. It is an unholy trinity and they come against Israel. Now, remember this. You and I in this world have three major enemies. The world, this world system, the flesh, and the devil. Those three come against us. Eglon is a picture of the flesh. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, Ephesians 2, 3 says this, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Have you noticed how that in the world we live in, it tries to feed the desires of the flesh? Commercials. If you're on the internet, and I, I, I believe they're doing this. You know, if I type in in my search engine searching for something, all kinds of ads all of a sudden pop up. You know, you type in shoes there, I got ads from all kinds of shoe places, and they, they just kind of track you on that. I was driving through Spartanburg on Wednesday, and I saw a sign on the church marquee. And here's what it said Happy is the man who wants what he has. Let me say that again. Happy is the man who wants what he has. Wouldn't the world be a pretty good place if everybody just wanted what they had? <laughs> I want to tell you, I, I am just... When someone gives me a gift, and when I have that gift a long time, it is a blessing to me. I, I've told you this story before, but I, I love telling the story. When I went to pastor Killian Baptist Church, now there was a, a guy who was always out there in the vestibule, out in the foyer, greeting. And his name was Furman, Furman Maddox. And uh, Furman's gone on to be with the Lord and great deacon, great servant. But uh, I was there about one month and Furman uh, asked me a question I thought was a strange question. He said, Preacher, he said, what size shoe do you wear? I thought he was going to comment about my feet being big or something, you know. So I told him. I said, I'll wear number one. I said, two of them. All right, one, one. Size 11. And uh, he said, okay, okay. 
And so uh, my birthday came up. And uh, so he and his wife, Libby, they walked in with a shoebox. And uh, Furman said, when I was growing up, I couldn't afford good shoes. And he said, I had to wear shoes that were too small for my feet. And he said, I had to go barefoot most of the time in the summer. And he said, I, I told my mom and daddy, he said, if I ever got to make good money, I'd always wear good shoes. And he said, I made a habit. The first birthday my pastor has in this church, I'll buy him the best pair of shoes I can buy him. So man, I opened up that box and looked at those shoes and I thought, man, that's a nice pair of shoes. In fact, I've got those shoes on today. And uh, that's been a lot of years ago. But uh, every time I put these shoes on, I remember Furman. And I remember that Wednesday night. And I remember looking at the price tag on that box and I said, Lord, I'm glad I didn't pay for these, alright? I want to tell you something. When you go home, you look through your house. You don't have a suit in the closet, you probably got suits. You don't have a shirt in your closet, you've got shirts. You don't have one pair of socks, you got a whole bunch of socks, alright? God has abundantly blessed you. Amen? So you remember His goodness. Well, don't serve the flesh because we have a God who's a great provider. Let me give you another passage here to look at. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 5. If you'll find that in your Bible, kind of hold your spot there in Judges, but look at Galatians chapter 5. And look at verses 16 through 18. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There, Paul says, walk and live by the Spirit. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul would say again, uh, do, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So, you got a choice to make. Now, look at Israel back here in Judges chapter 3. Look at verse number 13. The last part of verse 13. I want you to notice the failure there. And the big failure in verse 13 is that they allowed Eglon to possess a very important city, Jericho. You remember the story about Jericho, don't you? Yeah, remember the children of Israel marched around Jericho? Remember the story of Rahab and the harlot? How the walls came down? Man, they had a mighty victory there. Now look what happened here. 
Now you've got a wicked, evil king that set up shop in the city of the palm trees, Jericho. By the way, you can look in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 3, that references Jericho as the city of palm trees. Now, here's the application for you and I. When you win a victory, when you have a victory over Satan or over the flesh, don't let the devil move back in. Kick him out for good. You know, when I was a child, we would sing a song there in uh, Vacation Bible School. We would sing it even in our youth group. And uh, the song was, Keep Out the Devil. Shut the door. Keep out the devil. Keep the devil in the night. You know that? Yeah. You know, shut the door. Keep out the devil. Shut the door. Keep the devil in the night. Shut the door. Keep out the devil. Light the candle. Everything's alright. Da, 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 da. Shut the door. Now, I can do it, alright? Tell Steve I'm warming up again, alright? Now listen. George Patton, the great general, said, I hate to take ground twice. He was talking about moving forward and falling back. Moving forward and falling back. That is the problem. I call it yo-yo Christianity. Back and forth. Up and down. Back and forth. Man, don't let the devil move back in once you win a victory. Now, here's the secret, alright? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 27 says this, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul says there that he buffets his body, makes it a slave. Hard to do. In verse number 14 in Judges 3.14, again it says, the sons of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Again, why would they not revolt before then? Why not fight back? You're going to win a battle over the flesh. It's one in two places. It's one in your mind and in your heart. You make up your mind you're going to win this battle. And you make up your heart that you're going to win it. Alright, let's move on. Okay, number two. Second thing we'll look at today. We're going to look at Israel's deliverer. Alright? Ehud. That's... Verses 15 through 26. Now, in verse number 15, Ehud has two big problems. Problem number one, he's left-handed. Alright, lefties, don't, don't beat me up yet, alright? He's left-handed. But that phrase, left-handed, really means this. He's bound in the right hand. When you look at the Hebrew text, 
it says he's bound in the right hand. And what it means is that there was something wrong with his right hand. So he had to use his left hand. He is a lefty, not by nature, but by choice, he had to use his left hand. So he's bound on the right hand. In other words, he had to overcome a crippling disability to be a judge in Israel. How many in this room in your life have had to overcome some disability, something in your life to be used greatly by God? We all have. We've all got a story or a testimony of something in our life that crippled us. It might have been divorce in your marriage. It might have been a physical ailment. It might be a financial crisis, but you've been crippled by something in your life. Man, don't let that crippling write its, its epitaph over your life. You can still be used by the Lord. In fact, Ehud turned a liability into an asset. As you read this story, let's just kind of read, alright? Let's begin here in verse 15. And let me read through 19. When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And the sons of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Ehud made himself a sword which had two edges, a cubit in length. And he bound it on his right thigh under his cloak. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. It came about when he had finished presenting the tribute that he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the idols which were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, Keep silence. And all who attended him left him. Let me stop there and tell you this. What Ahud did, he put this sword, this knife on his right side so that with his left hand he could reach across and grab the knife and plunge it into Eglon. Now, I said that Ahud had two disabilities. His other one is the tribe he's from. What tribe is he from? The smallest, dinkiest tribe that there is. A nothing tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. It was so small that usually it was just wrapped up with Judah. And so, this mighty warrior who's crippled, this mighty warrior who came from nowhere, God used to give Israel the longest period of peace that they had. 80 years. Alright, now, look at the plan here. We read through verse number 19. But the plan was, Ahud would bring the tribute. And then Ahud would say this, O King Eglon, I have a secret for you. I have a secret message. That intrigued the curiosity of Eglon. So he said, Let, let's send everybody out because I don't want everyone to hear the secret. Curiosity got the cat, alright? 
Now, let's read here verses 20 through 26. Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. Ehud stretched out his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. The handle also went in after the blade. By the way, you can close your ears if you want to as I read this, alright? And the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and the refuse came out. Then Ahud went out into the vestibule and shut the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Let's read on through 26, alright? Verse 24, When he had gone out, his servants came and looked. And behold, the doors of the roof chamber were locked. And they said he is only relieving himself in the cool room. They waited until they became anxious. But behold, he did not open the doors of the roof chamber. Therefore, they took the key and opened them. Behold, their master had fallen to the floor dead. Now verse 26. Now Ahud escaped while they were delaying, and he passed by the idols and escaped to Sarah. As you read that story right there, you find the performance of this great judge, Ahud. With his left hand, one that he probably wasn't used to using, he reaches and grabs the sword, stabs Eglon, and defeats the enemy, wins the victory. And then you find in this verse number 26 that Ahu, what does he do in, in escaping? He goes by what? All the idols. I'm sure he said, take that. <laughs> take that. Thumbs his nose at all those idols as he goes by them. But I want you to Look here at verses 27 through 30, and we're going to look at the last thing, and that is Israel's deliverance. In verse number 27, it says, It came about when he had arrived that he blew the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was in front of them. And so, what does Ahud do? Is he satisfied that he killed Eglon? Oh no! He blows the trumpet. When the trumpet is blown in Israel, it's a call to battle. It's a call to victory. And I can't help but saying, I'm waiting one day to hear another trumpet, alright? I'm waiting to hear the trumpet in the eastern sky and the blast that will call us up higher. Well, the Bible says they blew the trumpet and then the people came forward. Now listen to Ahud, verse 28. And he said to them, Pursue them, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan opposite Moab and did not allow anyone to cross. And then verse 29, they struck down at that time about 10,000 Moabites 
All robust and valiant men, and no one escaped. Verse 29 says, They killed 10,000 Moabites. And then, here's the clincher, verse number 30. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land was undisturbed at peace for 80 years. Boy, what a, it's the greatest victory in the book of Judges. Man, you talk about Samson, you talk about Gideon, you talk about those judges, they didn't have a victory like this. Let me close by giving you a challenge. There's something in your life, there's something in my life that we constantly battle the flesh with. We all have something. I want to challenge you make up your mind and make up your heart that you're going to win the victory over the flesh. I don't know why it is, but there's something you're battling with. It may be depression. It may be worry. It may be all kinds of stuff. God can give you a victory. Psalm 119, verse 11. The psalmist said, Hide God's Word in your heart that you may not sin against Him. Alright, let's pray together. Father, what a great story. Man, Lord, what a victory. And Lord, I pray in my life, struggles I have with flesh and blood. Sometimes, God, it's my flesh that craves the old sinful nature. God, I pray in my life, God, You would help me to win a victory and not allow Satan to move back in and to have to fight that victory again. Lord, I look forward to the day in the future when Scripture says that Satan will be defeated for all time and cast into that lake of fire. And Lord, in the book of Romans, it says that we as the people of God are going to put our foot, we're going to stomp on Satan's head. And Lord, I, I look forward to the day when the King of kings and Lord of lords and will come again, the trumpet will be blasted, and God, we will arise in victory. Lord, bless these for their faithfulness. And now, God, give us a wonderful day in worshiping You, for You are worthy of that. Remind us, Lord, that happy is the person who wants and desires what he already has. And God, thank You for that salvation we have in Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen.